Before we start the show, I wanted to say thanks for listening. We want to bring you the best show we can, and sometimes it takes us a week or two to cut, edit, and present you something polished. But if you're the kind of person who wants to hear the long version with no frills and wants it as soon as possible, we're now putting our Ready Player 2 episode reviews on Patreon. Pay as much as you think is fair and get access to uncut episodes just hours after we record it. Join our community of gunters at patreon.com forward slash get to the good part, no spaces. Now, on to the show. This is Aaron from the show. First of all, thank you for listening. Once you finish listening to this episode, do us a solid. Go ahead and give us a rating and write a review of the show. This lets us know that we're doing a good job and helps other people find us. And speaking of other people, if you know someone who might enjoy the show, we would love it if you told them about it. We can be found at gttgp.com. There's tons of stuff on there. You can learn more about us. There's an episode guide. And of course, you can find our social media pages, where we love geeking out with our listeners. Now, let's get to the good part. So he's talking to his therapist, and I thought this was kind of interesting, that the therapist that he would choose would be Robin Williams' character from Goodwill Hunting. This is another thing that actually disappointed me about him. Why? You didn't because, like Robin Williams? No, no, no. I kind of like the idea of pick your own therapist, put the face on it and the voice on it that you want. If I ask you about women, probably give me a syllabus of your personal favorites. You may have even been laid a few times. But you can't tell me what it feels like to wake up next to a woman and feel truly happy. Uh-huh. But it's a program. It's not an actual human being. Okay. I would have had more respect for his choice to go into therapy if you can pick the face and the voice of your therapist, but it's still a person's avatar. Okay. Not, but... not just a program that's just running through you know, algorithms and telling you, oh, that's interesting. Tell me more about that. Like that doesn't – I can't imagine that being as therapeutic as a real person. But for somebody who owns the fate of the world, let's call that for what it is, uh, and – needs to have therapy but at the same time has another lack of trust because you know let's face it to get to the inside of somebody's world who's very popular and very powerful money is a very tempting offer particularly in a world that doesn't have a lot of money to go to that therapist and say i'll pay you 10 million dollars if you tell me what you talked about yesterday or record that and then give us a copy of the recording i, I get the distrust because, you know, even today when you turn on the television and you look at the news, there's all constant information leaks from a, from a number of places. And they don't tell you who's leaking it, and you're kind of left to trust it. But there's still, you know, information leaks, and those kinds of people can be paid for that sort of information. So I, I get his distrust. He's in kind of the position of being the most powerful person in the world. And, you know, who do you trust to talk to in that position? So... He doesn't trust people. He doesn't trust AI, but right. he trusts the skull hugger. <laughs> Does he? Does he, though? Because that's when we get into the next part of this, which is him going and getting in the ONI. And while a majority of people just kind of do it, which leaves them exposed, as is covered in this, this chapter, to all kinds of horrible things that evidently it's like being completely unconscious. People are having 
organs pulled out of them. People are being raped. They're being robbed while on the ONI. Like it's created a whole culture of criminality while people are under. He doesn't even trust that. He's got to walk to a chair that that then straps him in and then shoots him down an elevator shaft. And by the way, the chair morphs with little robots or whatnot into a sort of like a basically a robotic pod that that can tell him while he's in the ONI when something's not working, he can control from the ONI if he wants to to then go down this huge elevator shaft and then put him off into a little room specifically for this purpose. Like he and, and, and it's held snugly. He says it won't move a millimeter because if it did, bad things could happen. Which means everyone else using it in a way that is not as controlled as what he's doing are in danger. They're potentially currently being damaged if they're not using the same kind of means of restraining a person. And, and we just shot through a whole bunch of stuff there. So I think we can backpedal a little bit. Yeah, I think we should because we skipped ahead to the, mo- oh, sure. the motives. So, so back to that therapist thing. So, Right. From Freud to Frazier was what he said, right? That he was able to pick his own therapist. Right. And so he picked Sean McGuire from Goodwill Hunting. So, I mean, if you're going to choose a therapist, that's a pretty good choice. For yeah. one, it's, for one it's, it, it's Robin Williams. May he rest in peace. Right. And it was a really good role for him, too. And yeah. uh, some of the YouTube videos I've seen from that movie, my favorite are the ones where where your main character, uh, Matt Damon, is interacting with Robin Williams in that character. Yeah. And he just pulls it off really well. However, do you know who my first digital therapist was? Your first digital therapist? Like your first choice for a digital therapist? No, my first digital therapist. I, I In a know. series of many, I suppose. But let's just say my first digital therapist was one called Dr. Spatzo. Dr. Spatzo. I don't know what that is. Oh, fantastic. Educate me. So Dr. Spatzo was put out there, it feels like in the late 80s, early, super early 90s, by the company that made Sound Blaster. By Creative Labs. And the gist there was that they, they wanted to promote their human interaction or their the, the vocal interaction, this the sound interaction that it could uh, produce speech. So they created this therapy application. And then it says, you know, hit the little play in the middle, and then it says press any key to continue. When you do that, that's going to launch a Windows emulator. Press any key. Who start pressing any key? Please enter your name. Hello, Parzinal. My name is Dr. Spatzel. I am here to help you say whatever is in your mind freely. Our conversation will be kept in strict confidence. Memory contents will be wiped off after you leave. So, tell me about your problems. <laughs> you know what this sounds like? This sounds like the Whopper from yeah. War Games. And and I don't know if, if one took after the other or what order that this ended up happening. This is a copyright Creative Labs 1992. So this is obviously after War Games. But it sounds a lot like the Whopper. But the interesting thing here is that if you go to that link, you type in your name, and then you can kind of start talking to it. Now, it is by no means an intelligent therapist. Uh, but when I first saw this, when I first installed this, and this was back when I was using DOS. This is pre-Windows. It, it it was interesting. Like I could talk to it and it would pick up on certain words or certain positive or negative terminology. 
and it would come back with a response to that. So it wasn't always, hmm, tell me more, or how do you feel about that? I mean, occasionally it would say that shit, but you could say things to it like, you know, go screw yourself, and it would respond to that. It would recognize those words. And I thought, this is really cool, albeit crazy basic. Uh, but I, I mean, honestly, in the 90s, I might have spent more than a couple hours actually playing and talking to this thing. Have you asked it any questions? Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, I feel alone. Would you like to get rid of that feeling? <laughs> See? Well, isn't that interesting? <laughs> it knew you were talking about a feeling. And granted, like, it, you know, that kind of interaction today... Uh, I work with in my daily life, in my job, with uh, Lewis Bots, which is Microsoft's version of, of a chatbot system. It's a, a, a natural language recognition system. And it basically where you provide a, a question or, or a statement, it's called an utterance, and then it's programmed to recognize this pattern within what you've stated and then turn that into an intent that is already preceded into the system. And you know can come back to you with that intent. It's it's pretty cool, and you've probably even experienced it if you've talked to any quote unquote uh, online text bots. But this is kind of what I imagine his therapist session to be like: is a really friendly version of Doctor Spaitso. Yeah, and for those who are interesting, it's S B A I T S O, and it's an acronym. We'll, we'll put a link. We'll, we'll put a link in the show notes. So so I told Doctor Spaitso that I have dangerous thoughts. You know what he oh. said? What? Keep it to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I equate it to this, right? Like, like, and there is that disappointment that he's not talking to a human, or maybe not even leveraging some of the high five to listen to him and kind of work out because those are the people who could relate to potentially the issues that he's having. And granted, he said he did have a conversation with H, but it's not like a regular conversation. You know what I mean? So I, I agree. While it's disappointing, what it's doing here is it's setting the ground floor. It's saying that not all is well in the ivory tower. And it is from this point, I believe, that he's going to have to grow. And this is just showing what he has to grow from. Like, he's a shitty person. And when we talk about shitty person, we're talking about basically going in and zeroing out people who give him crap. But one of the things I was thinking here was that if you're going in and you're zeroing out people who, who don't like you, for example, the musical group Tapioca Shindig, Great name. with the song Six Circulating Punk, <laughs> that he went in, that he not only zeroed them out, but that he legally attacked them. I don't think he said he zeroed them out, but that he legally bankrupted every member of that band. That's fucking harsh, man. Yeah. It crazy harsh, and that he's just zeroing out anybody who has a name that he doesn't like or says something online about him and his friends that he doesn't like. He just shows up and boop, touches them, and they just die. Yeah. Not not actually die, but their, their character zeroes out. That's a big fucking deal. That's not just like Twitter saying you're no longer allowed to use your account. That's your money. That's your livelihood. That's your, your online character. You've got to start over. Uh, and that's huge. He's... F- you know, falling off the rails. And, yeah. And the fact that he can circumvent the user, the Oasis user anonymity protection stuff mm-hmm. was just like, holy shit. It's like a gargantuous abuse of power. 
for the whole first book, you at least had some level of, I guess, respect for the company because they promoted and were proud of the fact that they protected people's anonymity. But that was bullshit. Yeah. Well, you can protect anonymity. That doesn't mean that the information is anonymous within the company. But I thought in the first book, you know, they said that even GSS employees couldn't connect the dots between an actual person and their avatar. Well, and maybe not. But if somebody goes online and says some crap, and a lot of these social media stuff he says is went to the Oasis. It transitioned from the internet to the Oasis. So when he's reading all of this stuff in the Oasis, and people are saying it under the pseudonym that they're using for their character, all he has to do is say, well, where's that person with that pseudonym? You know, where's, you know, all hate Parzival, 127. Where is that character? I mean, I may not know that that guy's like Jimbo Bob in Idaho, but I know, I you know, with all powerful, I could find him in the Oasis and kill him. And that's still protecting anonymity. You don't know who the real person is, but in the Oasis, you know where they are in the Oasis. You've pulled out your reference material. What are you looking at? I'm trying to see exactly what it he says, the super user abilities I'd inherited from Halliday allowed me to circumvent the Oasis's strict policy of user anonymity. Oh, so okay. so when that. some snide <laughs> douchebag using the handle Penisville Hater posted something nasty about me on the Mead feeds, I pulled up his private account profile, pinpointed his avatar's location inside the Oasis, and waited till he set foot inside a PvP zone. Then, before Penisville Hater even knew what was happening... I made my avatar invisible, teleported in, and zeroed his ass out with a 99th level finger of death spell. But that's 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 a level of anonymity, but he still doesn't know who the person is in reality. It's still not saying that he knows it's Jimbo Bob from Idaho. It's basically him saying, I just pulled up their personal info based on their name, which no one else could do, I guess. And then figure out where they are, which no one else can do without very special equipment. And then, boom, popped up there. So it's just, he's using his back doors to find people in the Oasis. But but still, that's power that other people wouldn't have. But yeah, that's disappointing and kind of fucked up, right? And it says, he, you know, he, he writes in there that he was sued. But I guess the point of the class action lawsuits and sanctions, etc., is really just to demonstrate here the fact that he is untouchable. He is all-powerful in reality, in, in IRL, as he is all-powerful in the Oasis. And corrupted by all the power. Yeah. He can, he can, it, because this sort of thing might actually kind of fall under an offense of freedom of speech. You know, that if somebody says something that is, as, as an extremely powerful person for you to rip away someone's livelihood, you can't do that here, right? Can't do that where? Well, let's say in the U.S. You shouldn't be able to. I mean, the government can't. Yes, that's, I guess, what I'm getting at. If we're talking about all-powerful and lots of money, the government's about as high up as you can go in in that regard. So, yes. Yeah, so, you know, in my mind, that would be kind of like either a humanitarian offense or would be a crime, just straight up a crime. I, I can't tell you exactly which one, but I feel like you could do it. It's at least a very douchebag thing to do. Very douchebag. <laughs> I don't know what the legal term for that is, but very douchebag thing to do. But hundreds of people, hundreds, he just yeah. zeroed out. It's fucked up. 
Yeah, which kind of led him to the therapist and to removing his access, which, which again kind of speaks to his self-control. It's not really self-control. He just makes a decision and puts it outside of his ability to change it. So he had his system lock him out of social media. Good for him. More people but, I mean, should that's, do that. That's not, dis- that's not discipline. That's not discipline. Just discipline is like not eating the cake in the fridge because you know it's not going to do your weight any good. Locking the refrigerator so that you'll never be able to access the cake isn't discipline. <laughs> I was going to come up with a cookie metaphor, but uh, cake's good too. Okay. It's the cake we'll go for the, some that cake makes there. the cake a lie. So, But if you can't see it, does it exist? Does it exist? Does it, does it make a sound when it falls in the woods? Uh, but I, that kind of rounds down to, at the end of the day, his ultimate mental comfort, or the thing that he can fall back on, is that he has the big red button. Yeah, the thing that we've been wondering whether or not it was going to be a centerpiece of this book or not. Yeah. Yeah, that so far really hadn't come up yet, really hasn't come up at all. But, you know, he, he reflects on the fact that he's looked at what could happen, that even if the Oasis went down for a few days, that would potentially be the end of human civilization as we know it. That governments would collapse, militaries would collapse, their their, their ability to connect and communicate, that, that all of this is strung very deeply on the Oasis being operational. Which is why he says they have so much redundancy built into the system. But here's another thing, though. What what do you think the red button really symbolizes here? In this chapter? Yeah, like if your final comfort was that at least you have the red button, what is the red button a metaphor for? Your favorite stuffed animal? I don't know. Uh, I know. I'm not. I'm not actually trying to test you here. I'm just. I'm just. I'm really just asking the question plainly. Personally. It feels like a way out. It's it's a I'm, I'm happy to know that I have the ability to end the world, to to end all of existence. I can set the world on fire and watch it burn if I want to. And as a result, no day is so bad that I consider doing it. I had once heard a story, and I don't know if this is true or not, but I had read an article about David Carradine, and it was an article that they were interviewing him. And he said that he had a gun in his desk and that on a daily basis, he would pull the gun out and point it at his head. And if he didn't pull the trigger, it was a good day, which is to say that no day was so bad that he committed suicide, which coincidentally and ironically ended up happening anyhow, but uh, in a completely different way that we've discussed in other chapters. But still, the concept that if you have a way out, that you can look at that and go, is it that bad of a day? And if you don't hit the red button, it can't be that bad. That was pretty deep. I, I, I think that's, that's the red button. That, that, is, uh, that is suicide on multiple levels, on a social level, societal level, on a personal level. If he hit that button, he might as well consider himself dead. He's out of his company. He's out of a job. But he's got his spaceship. He does, but... So would it, would it, that possibly destroy the Oasis on the spaceship, too? They're connected. It's not the Oasis on the spaceship. Mm, it's a copy. They're, they're doing just... I thought they're, they're just doing data uplinks to like keep uh, things... There's, there's, there's synchronous, but it's not ready yet. I mean... I suppose, like, you know, if I were him, and I really wanted to fuck shit up and be like, peace out, y'all. Yeah, you know, disconnect the umbilical cord, 
between the ship and the oasis, hit the red button, and then say, see ya. I'm, <laughs> I'm outies. Good luck yeah. with that shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> then he's sitting up there on a spaceship with popcorn looking out the window. Mm. Ah. Some men just want to watch the world burn. Space popcorn. Mm. Yeah, so that was the first thing that, that came to mind, was that this is a, a metaphorical suicide button. The Kevorkian button push. I was just going to say Kevorkian. Oh, oh, I'm glad I beat you to it. Woo. Damn, so slow. <laughs> it's been a long week. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a long I've looked at the button longingly, but I've not pressed it. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean... There, Boy, if there was a red button right now. <laughs> there was an episode of Ren and Stimpy that involved oh, a yeah. spaceship with we, a red button. We've talked about this. Yeah, and that, that he has Stimpy. Ren has, Ren's gone crazy, and he's paranoid of Stimpy. So he puts Stimpy in charge of the red button, the shiny red button, the candy, candy red button. It's just so tempting. It's it's a history eraser button. For those who may not have heard prior episodes where we talked about it, and that whenever I hear about the red button, that's what it kind of makes me go back to. Even though Ren and Stimpy hasn't aged well, very few very few things are aging well anymore. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is true. Let's talk about the kind of protection that somebody might employ when they're going to become unconscious on a daily basis for 12 hours a day. Do you feel like the description in this chapter is overkill? More specifically, the motive chair. Well, it sure sounds like overkill. Especially what he built for himself seems fucking wild. And I actually had to look up the reference that he, about the ton about the elevator. Yeah, I did too. The Pepsi. Yeah, the the Pepsi elevator. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. That that's a interesting reference there. And, and for those that are interested, we'll put this in the show notes as well. But in the movie Spies Like Us, you got two government officials that go to this outdoor theater and it's it's very kind of clandestine you know people with machine guns and they get out of their car and they're like wouldn't you like to have a pepsi and they look at him like sure and then they walk into the building that serves the food and they go and they grab a cup and the minute that they press the pepsi trigger the, the, the pepsi dispenser the floor just drops and they go down this elevator. And it's this round shaft, and lights are flying because they're they're moving down the elevator so fast. <laughs> Until they get to this top secret base that's like a mile under the earth or some shit like that. It's a pretty cool reference, and like the the only thing that I think that could have been better than this, which doesn't really work because it would have been more horizontal as opposed to vertical, 
would have been the psychedelic tunnel in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. But it was it was a cool reference. The, the fact that at least we could look it up and see exactly what he's seeing. And the thing is, like, you feel like you're going deep into the bowels of the earth in that scene. Yeah, I, I didn't fully get the elevator scene until I saw that or how quickly it would go down. That when he looked up, it looked exactly like that scene. But you also get that feel of depth that Halliday had created, that he knew that he might have to. Halliday had the same kind of paranoia, that he didn't invent this. Halliday built this. And he's just using the facility that Halliday basically willed him. So he's possibly taking in the steps of Halliday in, in, in the same sort of level of paranoia. Maybe not the same level of abuse of use, but maybe that level of paranoia that, that he needed to have a bug-out shelter below his castle that was already fortified, that could also resist missile strikes that has, you know, AA and turrets or, or whatever to take out any incoming threats. Like he, he has all of that and he has this tunnel that takes him underground and he has this pod that engulfs him and will fight for him. He has machine guns built into it to protect his body while he's in ONI and that that is his level of comfort. That's what makes him feel able to go into the ONI, which is a far cry from when he first put the ONI headset on because he didn't have any of that shit attached. Yeah. Like just in his office, limp noodle. But I loved the slogan for the motive. Uh-huh. It's great. What was that? If you're going to use lethal force to defend yourself, you better have a motive. <laughs> Love that. I love that there is a level of society, and then Eris Klein addressed this, because it's, you know that this is going to be a thought that comes up. He's pre-thinking what you're going to think, and then he kind of throws into the writing the anticipation of that to help flavor or help color the rest of the book. The fact that there are these coffin-shaped rooms that people go in to experience O&I, that they're, it's basically a low-rent housing system for people to go and use and that they can't throw up enough of these buildings to accommodate people coming for 12 hours to then, you know, slide in, plug themselves in and be protected. Uh, and the fact that there is a culture of threat for people who just plug in without any protection drives this demand so heavily that again, people can't, they can't develop enough of these little buildings made out of coffins. So it, I kind of get for somebody who is the richest and most powerful person in the world to have that level of need for protection, even though it seems pretty extreme. What do you think? Again, this is like one of those things where you have to be one of the 0.1% who can actually afford these. Like this thing can't have been cheap. So few people would actually be able to take advantage of this thing. And it's it yeah. seems like... like Something like that seems like a good idea for many, many people. But it's not like regular Oasis hardware where they're basically giving it away for a quarter or, for, or whatever. This is, this is going to be expensive. So, yay, they have this thing that's supposed to protect you, but what did he do if nobody can afford to buy it? Yeah, I, it reminds me of, uh, and again, that kind of drives, that's part of demand driving technology. 
uh, you're right, 0.01%. But you know, like these days, you could go to a builder and have a custom yacht built for you, right? Sure. And it could be one of a kind. You could go to somebody and say, I want to be totally protected. And it just so happens that, that this is a branded machine, that there are enough people, I guess it's affordable enough for a certain number of people, that uh, if you have a lot to lose or ha- are a target potentially because you have a lot, then it's an investment in your safety, I guess is the best way to put it. If you're in a lawless place, hiring a dozen armed guards at your house might not seem too extreme. So I think this speaks to his paranoia and distrust, but I don't know if I would consider this to be too far gone. But it seems like he rationalizes it frequently. Right, there's always an excuse for why it's necessary. He's really good at justifying his choices with things. Yeah. It feels like a lot, but if you're that paranoid, if that's what's gonna make you feel better, I mean go for mm-hmm. it. You got the infrastructure. I'd be a little bit concerned going down that elevator with something that can't move a millimeter without frying your brain. But he doesn't put on the headset until he's already down the elevator and in the room. That's true. Like like he he is controlling it, but he's not he's not jacked in yet. Although he could control it jacked in. Uh, I did like the fact that it addressed that that the chair strapped him down, which I was kind of I was kind of like why, but then it's it later revealed that the chair moves and is more of like a an off road mobile defense system, but also that that it moves his arms and legs while he's under in order to keep circulation going smart device yeah and even we had discussed you know the potential for working out muscle so that it wouldn't atrophy and he mentions that in this chapter like we talked about that last chapter yeah and it mentions it in this chapter that that could be an option you could wear a suit that causes your muscles to flex but that it irritated him you know when he came back out yeah. so that he just doesn't use it and that's the reason why he exercises we discussed that so it's it's kind of cool like in each chapter, because for those who don't know, uh, I haven't read the next chapter. So, when, <laughs> but you have. <laughs> when we get to that place where, where we're kind of pitching ideas, it, it may seem like, well, dummy, haven't you read the whole book? And it, the answer is no. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm forecasting ahead. And it's kind of cool that, you know, we do a little forecasting in one chapter and then the next chapter seems to address it. And I'll be the first to admit, I've only read the book once, and it was essentially on launch day. We're into the new year already. No self-control. We're on chapter 0002 now. So now I've only read up to that point a second time. Right, right. I get you. I know what's going to happen, but the minutiae? You're, you're refamiliarizing yourself with the little details for every chapter that we go into. You got it. Got it. All right, so let's round out this chapter because he gets in his chair. He puts on his O&I headset or head, head, literally headset, and we reflect back to the phrase that he uses to unlock and enter the Oasis. And he's gone back to an old phrase from the song Don't Let's Start by They Might Be Giants, and that is... No one in the world ever gets what they want, and that is beautiful. No one in the world ever gets what they want, and that is beautiful. So let me ask you a question here, because this has almost a different meaning now. Because he did get 
everything that he wanted and his life and fucking blew it. Is his life beautiful right now? Is his life beautiful? Yeah, I get, I'm gonna stand there. I want your feedback on that. Do you think he thinks his life is beautiful right now? I don't think he thinks it's beautiful right now. Actually, you no, know I'm gonna take that back because I think part of what makes somebody feel really terrible, uh, like where he's at, is because he's had a taste of something better, right? And that better is not connected to wealth. No, it's like, you know, you know, he was able to spend that one week with Samantha before he ruined everything. It's like you don't know the value of what you've lost until after it's gone. But the fact that that thing was there for you to enjoy is what makes it like, like, like that's the beautiful thing. Do you think his life had more purpose when he was living in the stacks than than where he is now? He certainly felt he had more purpose then. Because he had a he had something he was working towards. Now yeah. he's just kind of cruising along, just trying to forget about his pain. Yeah, I I would argue from that point that his life is less beautiful now than when he was living in the stacks. When his purpose was unified, even if he was an island, he was still one amongst many gunters that he had pride in the knowledge that he had, that he had purpose in finding the egg, that he had friendships that were common to that goal. He doesn't have that goal in common with those friends anymore, with the hi-fi. It's possibly the reason why they blew him off in this chapter. That's part really like struck a chord with me because it was like, you don't want to know when your friends are ignoring you. And he had yeah. the power to find out and decided not to. Like that was just, I, I enjoyed that part. I don't know why, because it's just like, yeah, it, it's kind of like when you're being dot, dot, dotted by text message. Yes, I guess. Like when it seems like they're responding, but they're not. Yeah. So like, But like, you know they're looking at it. You know that maybe they're typing something and then going backspace, and then they're like, eh, I'll get to this later. Yeah, and like, <laughs> like that's never a good feeling. Yeah. So, I try not to think about that, though. It's just that, that never bugs me, but I get what you're saying. But again, you can take that personally, and particularly if you're lonely and you're depressed and you are antisocial, and at the same time, you're anti-AI. <laughs> you know, except for when you're online. Like online, if that's your only path for interaction, for input from humans, and even then in this situation, Parzival has disconnected himself from social media so he's a bit disconnected from everything disjointed and for him to say this now is his passphrase i feel is like is the opposite it's like the 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 upside down version of this phrase is basically saying i've got everything i want and my life is not beautiful and i wish that i didn't get what i wanted because at least my life would be beautiful in the pursuit, not the misery of having. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of the excitement you get when you order that thing on Amazon. And you're like, oh, I'm so excited to get this thing. And then, and then you wait for it, and you wait for it. You're watching it go across the country. You're tracking it. And then like the, the two or three days pass when it actually shows up. And then like a box shows up. And you're like, what did I order? And then you open the box and like, oh, yeah, that thing. Like, not nearly as cool as you not imagined. as exciting yeah i'm bored yeah. now that's what it reminds me of that's like half of the kickstarter campaigns i've invested in 
It's like, don't worry, we're still working on your your reward. You know what? Most of the Kickstarters I have invested in have come through. Very few have not. Yeah. But I'm also really selective. And I think I've talked about this before. I, I'm very, very selective when it comes to like technology, but stuff that can be printed, stuff that I can imagine doing myself. Although, you know, that extra step of it being more, a little more complicated, that's the stuff I invest in. I'd, I'd say like my most heavily invested thing right now is Fine China on Kickstarter and playing cards. Fine China and playing cards? Yes. I like card artistry, so I've practiced a little card artistry. I'm not particularly good at it, you mean like, but I enjoy like, it. I, the card magic. Oh, card magic. Yeah. Uh, I'm not like I said. I'm not good at it, but it's kind of a nice little meditative thing. And there are some really brilliant card designs. I've got like a whole wall, half a wall that that is lined with decks of cards. I think there was either a Kickstarter or an Indiegogo campaign for one that didn't use kings and queens. They called the monarchs. I would not have invested in that deck. <laughs> the whole point was: why is the queen worth less than the king? Oh. So she devised a deck that called the Monarchs. Okay, interesting. All right. I I might research it. <laughs> I kind of like the traditional decks. Um anyways, to circle back around though. So and that is where that is where this chapter ends. He's plugged in and he says a secret phrase, and I imagine the next chapter is going to be us in the oasis. So reflecting back on this before we sum up the show close it down because i think we're kind of at that place i like that this creates the groundwork for his mental frame of mind that there's still a lot that he has to learn there's still a lot that he has to grow from he has to be forced either through his position or his power and the money that he's got he's going to be forced to grow or he will be the source of his own self-destruction and this indicates that he knows that's the fact. And that's the challenge. Maybe that's the the hidden challenge within this book. is isn't going to be what he has to pursue, but what he's going to have to go through in that pursuit again. And at the tail end, he's going to become a person who rises above his power and his money to be that better person. That is the prediction I'm making for the long game. All right, are we good to wrap up? Yeah, I think so. Fantastic. Do you have any other parting words or anything that we kind of skipped past that you want to make sure you mention? Or No, I think we covered everything. How about you? Uh, the Mad Max reference, who run Barter Town. Yeah. <gasps> I missed that. Okay, cool. I, I don't know how I skipped over that. Yeah, you, you did. I don't really know much about the Mad Max franchise, so like I had to look up like what is who run Barter Town? And I was like, oh, it's like, oh, it's oh dude, that's, that's a big part. Like, if you're going to quote if you're going to quote that movie, not all of the movies, but one specific movie, Thunderdome, right, with Tina Turner, that's, that is a pivotal quote. Like, anybody who's ever seen it would know that movie by that quote in a snap. Not being a Mad Max guy, I, that didn't speak much to me. Yeah, I'm not a Max Max guy, but I did watch HBO when there was nothing else better on. I watched Mad Max. <laughs> So there, and there was one quote from Artemis that was kind of funny because it was like a mashup of a couple different references that was interesting. When Wade told Samantha that 
using the ONI to further her own agenda after railing against its release, blah, blah, blah. When I'd said so during one of our meetings, Samantha made it abundantly clear that she didn't give a flying frack at a rolling Rathtar what I thought. Not familiar with the reference. So... What is a rolling Rathtar? That's from Star Wars. The fuck? And I thought I knew all the Star Wars references. Rolling Rathtar. Oh, Christ, I gotta look this up. So give me give me the details. Give me the deets. Rathtars were large carnivorous cephalopods that were native to the planet Tuan Kiti. Regarded as one of the most dangerous beasts in the galaxy, Rathtars were known for hunting in packs, and their subspecies, the dwarf Rathtar, were involved in an incident known as the Trillia Massacre. They share common ancestry with the Sarlacc, Blixus, and Vixus. Oh, so that's the creature that Han and Chewie had in their ship in The Force Awakens that eventually escaped and ended up rolling its little tentacle body down the hallways and ripping up the people that had broken into their ship. Yeah, so so that's the Rathtar reference. And then... okay. Flying Frack, I believe the Frack reference is a Battlestar Galactica slash Caprica reference. It's it's like a space expletive instead of the obvious. Interesting. It's like I don't give a flying fuck at a rolling Rathtar, but it was a little bit of a mashup. Do you ever see Battlestar Galactica? long time ago. And I don't mean like the new Battlestar Galactica. I'm talking about like the old 80s when it was considered a Star Wars ripoff Battlestar Galactica. So yes, but I I thought it was pretty cool. I thought it was okay. Yeah, I got into the newer series. I didn't get through the the main series, but then I started to watch the spin-off Caprica or the prequel Caprica. Okay. They were fracking left and right in that show. <laughs> Not like literally like fucking but they were saying frack all the time huh that, that's interesting i wonder it, it kind of reminds me of how they were able to get away with using swear words in firefly they said well, they that. wouldn't use swear words they would use they would use mandarin yeah uh and, and as a result they were okay using mandarin swear words so that was just kind of their way of of pitching ah uh, firefly anything else we need to cover uh, would you take guitar lessons from Eddie Van Halen? Right, right. That was one of the bits of technology I thought was damn cool. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That is me? fucking, That'd be fucking cool. fantastic. Yes, yes, anonymous, unanimously, yes. Because <laughs> I've I I have guitars, like I have bass guitars, and I I get the general attitude towards bassists. But you know, it, let's face it, it's an easier instrument to get into, at least oh, yeah. in in that realm. And I've used it's not rock band, it's um, guitar hero. Yeah, no. No, because you can't learn real guitar on that. Oh, it I know. Is, the one that is actually like playing a real guitar. Yeah, the one it, you actually plug your guitar into. Yeah, no, we talked about that at one point too. Yeah, and I really enjoy that, although I've not actually practiced it. But to actually have like a live, well, a simulated human of that kind of popularity kind of working you through and bringing you up to their level, love it. Love it. Love yeah. it. I think that would be fantastic. Yeah, it's kind of like the Oasis version of master classes. Yeah. Yes. What else? Uh, well, I think that's. I think that covers it. We we've run this chapter it. out. Probably. Okay. 
Well, there was a lot in this chapter. Like, there's a lot to unpack. Like, there are levels to unpack. There's technology to unpack. There's some psychology to unpack. This was a good chapter. Like, I really enjoyed this. While I was disappointed, I was kind of glad that I was emotionally provoked in that disappointment because, you know, it, it didn't take away from the chapter. And it actually lays the groundwork for character development. And it removes this idea that money solves everything. And it gives you a really good example of, you know, a use case where that wouldn't be the case in this fictional world. So I really dig that. I really enjoy this chapter. I'm excited to get into the next one. So until the next chapter, this is Chris. And this is Aaron. We'll catch you then. Thanks for listening. See ya. That is the prediction I'm making for the long game. You are a you are a you are a poker player. There is not not a hint on your face. That's because I was trying to find uh, playing cards things. I wasn't even listening to your <laughs> sorry ass. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs>